All right, well, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Good job, class. You got it. Well, today we are concluding our series that we called Summer in the Psalms, our summer playlist. Throughout this series, we've looked at Psalm 1, Psalm 19. We took a look at Psalm 23. Last week, Psalm 73. We've looked at Psalm 78. Psalm 139, many of the Psalms. And have you gotten anything out of the series? Amen. It's amazing how life-giving that the Word of God is. If you're new here, our church prioritizes the Word of God. Scripture is our standard. Come on, better better amen than that, right? (laughs) Scripture is our standard. Uh, Yesterday, I happened to find myself in the Psalms as well, you know, I do a, a daily reading uh, throughout the course of the year. I'll get through the whole Bible. I landed in Psalm 119 uh, just yesterday, which, by the way, is the longest chapter of the, of the book. I think there's 170-something verses just in Psalm 119. And uh, part of that psalm says, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And then I just kept reading it a couple of chapters later in Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from above, from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Then the very next chapter, Psalm 122, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. If you've been in growth track, sometimes we'll say, now David didn't say I was mad when they said, or I was sad when they said, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Well, since we started uh, this series with the very first psalm, I thought, why not conclude this series with the very last psalm? And so that's where we're going to be hanging out today is in Psalm 150. In fact, let's do this. How about everybody? Let's stand together all across the room. Let's stand and let's read it together out loud. One of the more iconic psalms in all of the book of psalms and all the collection of psalms. Let's read it out loud. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, as you're seated, just turn to someone and tell them, you better praise the Lord. You better give them some praise. That's right. Well, praise is a universal language. It's a global language. In fact, Kelly and I, we've been to a variety of places. A few years ago, we got to visit some cathedrals and basilicas in Italy. Uh, We've been to churches in Ethiopia and and, uh, Kenya. Uh, We've been to Haiti, where they kind of had an open-air church with just an old tin roof on it. Uh, I've been to uh, uh, some amphitheaters in the country of India. Uh, some of you were in El Salvador just a few weeks ago, worshiping with other believers. And when we've been to all those other countries and all those other places, while we didn't speak the same earthly language, 
there was something special that bonded us together when it came to our praise and our worship because we're all praising the same God. We're all praising the same Lord. You see, praise is a universal language. And there's one word that no matter where you're from, no matter your native tongue, your native language that we all recognize. Now, this word is not an English word. It's not Spanish or French or Portuguese. It's not a dialect from Africa or India. In fact, it's a Hebrew word that we all recognize, and it's the word hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when I've been in those environments and I don't recognize what else they are saying, what else they are singing, that word transcends all languages. It's even, this word hallelujah has even made it into our English dictionary. And you know what it means? It just means praise the Lord. It means praise Jehovah. And uh, it's kind of broken up into two parts, this word. The first part of this word hallelujah is hallel. And that just means to praise or shine uh, or to brag on, to praise, to shine, to brag on. Then, then the last part of the word, Yah, it's a shortened name for one of the names of God, Yahweh. It's a verb. So, so we have the noun, uh, you know, uh, we have the noun, Yahweh, God, and we have the verb to praise, to praise Yahweh, to praise Jehovah, to praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, one of my favorite stories has always been uh, this story of a preacher who had a horse that he needed to sell. I'm not sure why he needed to sell it, but he needed to sell his horse. And so he was looking for some buyers for his horse, and he finally found a guy who wanted to buy his horse. And uh, after negotiating a price that came to an agreement on how much he was going to give the preacher for the horse, and uh, as they uh, exchanged currency and he gave him the horse, uh, the preacher said, now you need to know a few things uh, about this horse. Uh, you need to know that, that he only responds to God language, okay? So he doesn't understand commands that you might be used to having ridden other horses. So for example, if you want him to go, you don't say giddy up. This horse doesn't understand the word giddy up. If you say giddy up, he's not going to go because he doesn't get it. If you want the horse to go, you say, praise the Lord. Okay, got to remember that. All right. Now, the other command you need to remember is if you want him to stop, you need to say, amen. Okay? So if you want him to go, praise the Lord. If you want him to stop, say amen. If you say, whoa, or stop, He's not going to stop. He doesn't, doesn't understand stop. He doesn't understand, whoa, whoa. He doesn't understand that. He's only going to stop if you say amen. So amen, stop. Praise the Lord, go. Okay, I got to remember that. So he gets on his horse and he gently says to the horse, praise the Lord. And sure enough. The horse starts walking, a nice gentle walk, and they're, 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 he's riding through the fields on his new horse, and uh, all of a sudden, a jackrabbit darts out of nowhere and kind of spooks the horse. He kind of freaks out, and so uh, uh, this, this gentle walk turned into a, a full-on gallop. Uh, this horse now, uh, because he's spooked out, is racing, races down a ravine, and is actually headed toward a 200-foot drop-off, a cliff. 
And so he is freaking out. This rider is freaking out. Oh, no, what I'm doing. So he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. But the horse just keeps going, right? Because he doesn't respond to whoa. He said, man, what were those words? Oh, that's right. Amen. Amen. And sure enough, right before the 200-foot drop-off, that horse stopped. And so the guy was so relieved. I mean, he was on the verge of death. So, oh, thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh. Now listen, that might be the only time you don't want to say, praise the Lord. But any other time is a very appropriate time to say, praise the Lord. Now, Psalm 150, it begins and ends with this phrase, praise the Lord. In fact, the final five Psalms, Psalm 146 through 150, begins and ends with praise the Lord. I went through and I counted in Psalm 146 through 149, just in those chapters alone, that phrase praise the Lord is mentioned 12 times. Now, in Psalm 150, this final psalm, the word praise appears 13 times. Virtually every line has the word praise in it, either praise God or praise him or praise the Lord. It's almost like the psalmist can't help himself. I got to praise him. And listen, our attitude should be the same. Praise should always be on our mind, in our thoughts, on our lips, in our mouth. I believe that the Bible would endorse that as well. That's why in scripture it mentions praise over 500 times. In Psalms alone it mentions praise or praise the Lord over 100 times. And so as we look at this final Psalm, Psalm 150, we're going to let it answer for us a a few questions. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. The first question is whom? Or maybe a better way to phrase that would be, to whom? To whom is praise conveyed? Well, you already know the answer to this one, of course. It's the Lord. Praise the Lord. God wants and God deserves exclusive praise. Meaning that he and he alone should receive our worship. No competition. No rivals exclusively, we are to praise the Lord. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, God is downloading to Moses for the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. And if you're familiar with them, you know that he, he begins right away with saying, you shall have no other gods before me. Worship him and worship him alone. And and then he added this statement in verse five that a whole lot of people, they, they don't quite understand why God said this. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. What an interesting way to put things. I'm a jealous God. God says that he's the object of our worship And he's jealous about it. Now, some people, they take this as a negative statement. And they don't understand how a perfect God would use negative language or negative feelings. But listen, if you are married, I think you understand what God is trying to get at here. Husbands, your wife is beautiful. Very, guys, Much more alert than the first service. You were there. Your wife is beautiful. 
shouting me down. <laughs> and because she is beautiful, because she is yours, you don't want to share her with anybody else. In fact, the thought of sharing her with another man should cause you to have some jealousy. No, no, no. She belongs to me. That's my spouse. That's my wife. She belongs to me. No way. Out of the question. We're not sharing her. She belongs to me. Relational jealousy can be a good thing. The Bible says that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, he should get our total adoration. He should get our total admiration and our absolute devotion. We are to be set apart only for the Lord. So we don't worship things. We don't worship other people. We don't worship uh, angels. We don't worship saints or any other Bible characters. We certainly don't worship ourselves. All the praise belongs to him and him alone. Amen. Paul wrote to Timothy, first book of Timothy, chapter one, he says this, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Isaiah wrote in chapter 42, verse eight, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He and he alone is God, and he, he and he alone is to whom we devote our praise to. So I have a question for us to evaluate. How much praise is in our lives? Uh, think about that just for a moment. When you are alone with your thoughts, what do they gravitate to? What do your thoughts gravitate? Now, I know there, there are, are, are many of us are dealing with a lot of things. We're carrying a lot of stuff. Life is busy. There's stress. There's troubles. Uh, there's relational issues. There's financial issues, all these issues that we face. But for the most part, when our mind settles down, what are we thinking about? Are we dwelling on the things of the Lord, or are we dwelling on other people or other things? What consumes our thoughts? Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. The things we think about will consume us. Therefore, we need to choose carefully what we dwell on, what we think about. Joshua, when he was addressing the, the children of Israel at, at, later in life, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And by the way, he said, by the, I'm going to serve the Lord. <laughs> he, he said that because whatever we serve, that's what we're going to praise. So the question, the first question we've laid out for you, to whom do we praise? To God. We praise to him alone. Second question we have for us today that this psalm is going to answer is where? Where does or where should praise take place? Now, most of us would say, well, anywhere. Praise can and should take place anytime, anywhere. And that's right. That's the right answer. Psalm 150 would also agree with that. But the psalmist, he actually mentions two specific places here in verse 1. Praise him in his sanctuary and praise him in his mighty heavens. 
two places specifically that he gives us. Now, when this psalm was written, uh, it was likely referring to the temple that was in uh, Jerusalem. Now, the temple is where they did sacrifices on a daily basis uh, in Jerusalem and around the temples where they had uh, feasts and festivals throughout the year with people gathering from all around Israel and Judah to worship God at the temple, at the tabernacle. Well, today, there is no more temple. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a temple right there in Jerusalem. And scripture tells us that at the very moment Jesus died, miraculously, the veil was torn from top to bottom. If you don't know what that veil is all about, that veil separated the holy of holies where the presence of God was. And a priest would go in just one time of year to be right there in the holy presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, he symbolically was saying, hey, we all have access to the presence of God. You don't have to go to a place for the presence of God. We carry the very spirit and the very presence of God with us. Now, that said, it is still important in the life of us believers to still gather like we are doing today, to gather together and worship the Lord in a public atmosphere like this. In fact, that's why you came out today. We are to praise him in his sanctuary. Then he says, number two, praise him in his mighty heavens. In other words, God wants praise here on earth, and he wants and deserves praise in the heavens as well. The psalm is calling on the people of earth and the angels and beings of heaven to join together and praise the Lord. Now, just for a moment, let's think about what's going on in the heavens right now. Now, John had a vision of, of what was going on in the heavens around the throne of God, and he wrote it down. He described it for us in the book of Revelations. And in Revelation chapter 5, we get a, a little glimpse of it. It says this, Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus. And by the way, we sang this same song today. Didn't plan it, but the Holy Spirit planned it. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. This translation says slaughtered. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. This is what's happening in heaven. They are crying, holy, holy, worthy, worthy, blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Yes. Psalm 150 encourages praise both on heaven and in earth. It's the same thought that Jesus had when he taught us to pray. Remember when he said, when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we praise here on earth, we are mirroring, we are matching what is going on in heaven. Praise fills the halls of this earth and praise fills the halls of heaven. 
It's why, we, it's why we prioritize as a church singing and worshiping during our Sunday services. Our choir joins with heaven's choir for one great big choir, all in praise to the Lord. Praise him in his mighty heavens. The next question is, why? Why do we praise him? We've answered to whom do we praise? Where do we praise him? On earth and in heaven. But why should praise occur? Well, the answer is found in verse two of our passage today. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Two things. Other translations say mighty acts and excellent greatness, but those are the two reasons that this psalmist says that we should praise the Lord. In other words, we praise him for what he's done and we praise him for who he is. We praise him for his mighty acts, his acts of power. He has done great and mighty things. That's the what. And we praise him for his surpassing greatness. That's the who. He is surpassingly great. First, we praise him for what he's done. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 19 and how the heavens declare his greatness. How he created, he created all of nature, all of creation. He created it all, the sun, the earth, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the universe. He created it all. His acts of power are on display for all to see. And it's amazing. Our minds can't even begin to wrap around and comprehend all that he has done, all that he has created, his mighty acts. Then a few weeks after that, we looked at Psalm 139, how you and I, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know that you are wonderfully made? Some of you, when you look in the mirror, you're looking at what was wonderfully made on the outside. Oh, I like that, and most of you, you do look good. You look good. <laughs> but uh, I think it was Pastor Raj, he talked about some of the fearfully and wonderfully made that was stuff on the inside as well. Uh, he said that we have, I think, over 30 million or 30 trillion cells, right? 60,000 miles just of blood cells in each and every body. If human DNA could be uncoiled, it would stretch for 10 billion miles a human skeleton renews itself every 10 years. That's incredible stuff. And so we praise him for his mighty acts. And the mightiest act of all for me isn't creation, it's salvation. Come on, can I get a big amen on that one? It's salvation. That's the mightiest act of all is when God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to lay down his life for my sin, for your sin. We just remembered that when we took in communion just a few moments ago. That's enough right there to praise him forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, that you found me. You freed me. You saved me. You redeemed me. Thank you, Lord. Praise be to God. So we praise him for what he's done, and we praise him for who he is. We praise him for his surpassing greatness. God's greatness goes beyond anything this universe can even begin to contain. And our praise, our worship can never come close to be in proportion to his greatness. He's greater than we can conceive or think. And let's say he never did any mighty acts ever again. Guess what? He's still surpassingly great. 
He is ever-present. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. That is who he is. So we praise him for who he is according to his excellent greatness. We don't praise him when we feel like it. We don't praise him so we can get something out of him. We don't praise him because we like the way that song makes us feel. We praise him simply because of who he is. He is surpassingly, exceedingly great and greatly to be praised. So we've answered the questions, whom, where, and why. Here's the next question, how? How should praise be expressed? Well, to find that answer, we look at verses three through five. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Some of you are like, oh, clashing and resounding cymbals? <laughs> Sorry, it's in the Bible, right? So is dancing. <laughs> it's all praise to the Lord. In fact, this psalm devoted three verses just to list the instruments that should be used in the praise and the glory of God. No instrument is left out. We see brass, we see woodwinds, stringed instruments, percussion, all of it. If you can blow it, if you can pick it, if you can pluck it, if you can bash it, if you can crash it, we should do it to the praise and glory of Almighty God. Have you noticed that there's something emotional about music? So you can be watching uh, something on TV. Maybe you're uh, in the intense part of a movie or a TV show. It's getting kind of wild and crazy. You're not sure what's going to happen. The tension is really building. But you have the, the, the mute on. You have the volume off. You're just watching it. It's actually not that scary when you have the volume off. But when you have, when you have the music up and you hear the tension in the string section, and the emotion with the brass and the woodwinds. I mean, it brings another element of emotion to that TV show or, or to that movie because music carries with it emotion. All sorts of emotions. Uh, some of you might like this too. Uh, you know, there's some joyful music as well. I like to drive up on people and they've got their windows down and they're screaming and singing at the top of their lungs. They've got the stereo turned up and they're dancing all around in their car. It's emotional. Music gets us happy and sad and all emotions in between. But it's not just emotional. Music is spiritual as well. Especially God-centered music. Second Chronicles chapter 20, there's an interesting story that involves a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. Can you say Jehoshaphat? Well, I thought you could, bless you. And Jehoshaphat, this story tells us, he sends out the worship team first in this battle. He was going into a war, and he puts the worship team on the front lines of the battle. They would go first. I'm not sure if he was trying to get rid of the worship team or, or what. We certainly aren't. We love our worship team around here. But they would go out first to give praise and glory to God. And verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 20 tells us that this king was very frightened. He was scared in the natural. He was really nervous about what was going on because multiple kings, multiple armies were joining together to take him on. In fact, he called for the whole country to fast and pray. 
Then in verse 15 of 2 Chronicles, we see that this guy named Jehaziel, he gets something downloaded from the Lord, and you've probably heard this. He declared uh, from the Lord, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, for the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And then there was this really creative, amazing plan that God gave to them. We'll pick it up at verse 21 of 2 Chronicles 20. It says, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise to the Lord, the Lord caused the armies to start fighting amongst themselves. Verse 24. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. What an incredible story. In the natural, in the king's uh, version of what was about to happen, what looked like certain defeat turned into a blowout victory for the people of God. And how did it start? It started with music. It started with singing. It began with praise and worship. And as they worshiped, God began to work on their behalf. Come on, that's a good word for someone today. Because we might not be battling in the physical realm, but every single one of us are in a spiritual battle. There is spiritual warfare all around us being waged right now. And there is power when we begin to sing, when we begin to lift up the name of Jesus and worship him. He begins to do things on the behalf of those who will worship him. That's why when you start to feel stressed out, when you feel like the, the world is caving in on you and closing in on you and you're about to be defeated, if you'll just begin to sing the songs. If you'll just begin to open up the word, but you can look at the Psalms. If you'll begin to turn up the worship music, when you were feeling down and discouraged and overwhelmed, everything was too big to, to handle, all of that stuff begins to fade away in light of his incredible majesty, his greatness, his splendor. There is power in our worship. There is power in our song and in our music. Now listen, there are a lot of other religions they don't use music at all. For whatever reason, they've dismissed the power of music, but not us. We've seen its effect. We've seen its power. We know its importance. In fact, it is a gift from God to us. Singing and making melodies, but it's also a gift from us to God, isn't it? <laughs> when our hearts are so full, we want to sing. We want to make music. We want to worship. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great you are. How great you are. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And we use all sorts of instruments, all sorts of melodies and harmonies and rhythms for the purpose to glorify God. And when we do, it gives glory that is due to God. 
it drives out the devil, and it makes us victorious, joyful overcomers. There is power in our song. There is power in our music. And the last question that this psalm is gonna answer for us today is who? Who should be praising the Lord? And this is another easy one that verse six answers for us. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now listen, some of you, let's be real, you can't dance. You're not very good at playing instruments. But listen, all of us have breath. You might be thinking, I just don't have much to offer. What can I do? What can I bring? I don't got much. But listen, what you do have is breath in your lungs. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, we are going to praise the Lord. Now, we can use our breath for wrong reasons. We can use it to, to gossip and complain and to slander. We can use foul language focusing on everything that's wrong. Or we can use our breath for a greater purpose to lift up the name of the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together, for he is great. He is greatly to be praised. And as long as I have breath, I'm gonna praise him. I'm gonna praise him. Praise is so important that the largest book in the Bible, the Psalms, is devoted. There's a whole book, the largest one in all the song and all the Bible is devoted to songs uh, of praise and worship and prayer to the one true God. And I hope you've enjoyed our, our series, our summer playlist, our summer in the Psalms. But can I tell you, we're not going to worship God in just the summer. We're going to worship him in the fall and the winter and the spring and next summer and next fall. And for all eternity, we're going to praise the one who has saved us, who defeated death, who rules and reigns forever. King of kings, Lord of lords. Come on, somebody. It is him that we sing. It is him that we 